Hello, Hope Church. It is good to be with you. Uh, and uh, if, if, if you don't know me, I'm Mark Smith. I'm our Rochette campus pastor. And so it is, it's really great to be with you as we just are working our way through this uh, series going through the gospel of Mark. And uh, I was thinking about it. We as people, we, we just love celebrities, don't we? Like we love to follow and try. Some of you are pretending you don't right now, but you do. Right? And we live it our whole world. We love this. Right? Just, and sometimes I think it's just so we have something to do. We like to watch other people. And we like to pay attention to what they do. And I mean, just think of all the, the TV shows, all the internet sensations, and all the, the newspaper stories. Right? There's all these ways that we just watch other people. We love to see what they do. And I know almost everybody I know says that they don't follow that junk. And that's it's like a direct quote, right? But it's, if, if it's true that nobody follows it, then, then how come all those things are so successful? Right? We're all, we all tune in, we watch it, and we pay attention to it in different ways. And, and some of you, uh, like me, take the noble route, and we just make our sport teams and athletes our celebrities that we follow, right? Because then that, that makes us feel better, because the, the people that we follow, we follow them just because they're really good at running or things like that. Right? But we, we just love to, to watch people and pay attention to people. Right? And regardless of, of what uh, matter of celebrity is you follow, the simple fact that remains we do. We love to watch them and we love to, to follow people. And this isn't just necessarily an American thing or it's not even a, a 21st century thing, right? This is just, it's a people thing. Right? We love to pay attention to other people and watch them. And it, and it was true in Jesus' day as well, M- minus the, the Twitter and Instagram parts. But it, 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 the same thing was true that, that people followed crowds and they loved to to see what was going on. And, and I, I think as we read through the Gospel of Mark, we see this happening. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into God's Word this morning and, and uh, continue uh, working our way through the Gospel of Mark. We're, we're coming to the end of chapter 3. And, and if, if you were with us last week, this is right after Jesus uh, appoints the 12 disciples and, and we pick up on this next part of the story. We're going to read through that and uh, would invite you to, to grab your Bibles and you can flip uh, to, to Mark chapter 3. And, uh, and as you do that, I, I have to, to warn you, I've been fighting a cold all week. And so just as a precautionary measure, I don't say that for you to feel sorry, but just in the event that I have like this horrible coughing fit, I want you all to take out your bulletin, open up in the middle in the sermon guide, just take a question and turn to somebody and start asking questions while I cough, okay? So that's our plan. All right. So we're going we're gonna to start this off. Mark chapter 3 verse 20. It says, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. 
they are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So as you see in, the, in this story, even with, with this, this interesting little exchange, that, that I want you to notice the, the, the people in the story. right? These, these crowds that, that had begun to follow Jesus. Many just wanting to see what he was going to do. Listen to what he says. Maybe, maybe catch a glimpse of a miracle. Right? But, but news had begun to spread about this Jesus. And within this celebrity following, there's, there, there are different groups of people. Different ways that people were following and paying attention to Jesus. Again, some were just the fans. Some were curious onlookers. And in the midst of this, this interesting dialogue, we see these crowds as they follow Jesus. And we're faced with the question of how we follow Jesus. And really, as we follow him, the question is, what are we going to do with Jesus? And so as we get ready to, to look at this, I, I just want to take a moment and, and pray. And I just want to invite God to, to, to teach us as we look at his word, as we, as we try to understand and, and know him. I just want to invite uh, him to teach us tonight. So let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that, that, that you teach us through your word, that you show us yourself. And we just, we just pray that for right now. That we would see you, that we would catch a glimpse of you and understand you. And you would, you would use this time and this place to, uh, to draw each of us to yourself. And that, that your words would... Uh, would have a, a way in our hearts and in our minds and, and in our understanding. Jesus, we, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so in this exchange that Jesus has with his disciples, as he's in this house, surrounded by the crowds, there's, there, there's four different ways that people handle Jesus and handle this question of how, what are they going to do with Jesus? And all I want to look at this because I think this is still true today. Right? Because most of the time, if you go out and have, start having conversation with people, people don't argue the fact that Jesus existed. Right? There, there's so much historical evidence that proved that Jesus lived. The question that people really ask and the question that people are really wrestling with is, was, who was he? So not whether he existed, but who was he? And at the core of that is, is how do we deal with the claims that Jesus made? And so let's look at these four different ways that, that people handle Jesus. The first one that we see is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, right out of the bat, the Pharisees thought Jesus was a liar. 
And as a liar, they even went as far as to claim that he was casting out demons, doing all his miracles with the power of Satan, that he was indwelt by Satan, performing all these miraculous things. And so they sought to shut him down and sought to destroy him. Right? And really, the, this claim of liar, claiming that Jesus was a liar is just an excuse. It's a way, a way we handle Jesus so that we don't have to deal with any of the things that he says, with any of the guilt of the message that he brought. If Jesus was a liar, then we can just ignore him. And again, as we, we see in verse 29, as Jesus is then confronting the, the Pharisees and speaking in parable, he, he brings up this whole thing about uh, th- that whole part about the, what we call the unpardonable sin. Right? If anyone blasphemes the Holy Spirit, then he is uh, guilty of a sin that's unpardonable. Right? And so we, we come up with this whole question of, well, what does it mean, an unpardonable sin? And we don't have time to, to, to dig into that right now, but I want to just encourage you, in your sermon guide, there's a whole little series of, of questions to help you wrestle with that topic and, and try to understand what, what Jesus is teaching as he's talking about this idea of unpardonable sin. But the Pharisees used this tactic of, of attacking because they claimed he was a liar so they can attack him again to, to get away and deal with the guilt that they had. And, and this went through the, in the entire life. And we see this in, in almost every interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees where they're, where they're attacking him, even up to the point where he's on the cross. And if you look at uh, the crucifixion in Matthew 27, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the Pharisees are mocking him. And again, they, they saw his death. They saw that the, their success of, of, of killing him and, and having him put to death as success of proving that he was a liar and that he came to nothing. That they were right. And everything could return to the way it was. You see, because Pharisees wanted to be in control. And the, the religious system allowed them to be in control and to be right. And to fix things in their favor. And Jesus challenged all of that. And so they wrote him off as a liar. Now the second group that we see is, is Jesus' family. And Jesus' family thought he was a lunatic. They thought that he had gone crazy. You see in this passage in Mark, in, in verse 21, when they see him surrounded by all the people, they wanted to go in and rescue him because they thought he was out of his mind. They thought he had lost it, right? Again, th- this is his family. Who, they, they knew him. They, they grew up with him. They saw him. And all of a sudden, they start hearing these claims, seeing the crowds, and they were worried about him. So they wanted to rescue him. <coughs> All right, I think that's a short one. No questions needed yet. We're good. <coughs> Maybe I spoke too soon. Uh, but by claiming Jesus was a lunatic, that he was crazy, he didn't know what he was saying. By doing that, they, again, it, it, it's a way to mask the guilt. Mask the response. If, 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 if Jesus is just crazy then I can just ignore him. If Jesus is just crazy, then all the things he says, I can just smile and I can watch the show. 
if just Jesus is just crazy that it has no bearing on me and I can just return to my status quo and everything is good and everything is happy. And so Jesus' family look at him and say, he's crazy. He's a lunatic. Now, I, I think as we look at those first two of liar and lunatic, um, I, w- I want to say that probably the, the majority of us don't fall into one of those two categories. And for the simple fact that we're all here, uh, the, the fact that we're, we're in church together, wanting to know more, wanting to understand who Jesus is, uh, maybe you're here for the first time trying to, to figure things out, but but the fact that we're here seeking probably means that we're at least willing to give Jesus a chance. That he's not lying and that he's not crazy, but there might be something to what he's saying. And so we keep moving on. Pharisees think Jesus is a liar. His family think he's a lunatic. And then we see his disciples, who he just called early in Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls the twelve, brings them, appoints the twelve disciples, and he's with them in the house teaching them, and the crowds gather around. And the disciples, they believed he was Lord. They believed that he was the Messiah. That he was Emmanuel. God in the flesh. Right, as we saw in, earlier in Mark, as Jesus called the disciples, that they had this interaction with him and they were willing to leave everything to follow him. They, they, they went all in on Jesus. Right? They left professions, they left families, they left everything, they left their homes to follow him because they believed he was who he said he was. And he was God in the flesh. Colossians 1 uh, it goes through and talks about how that, that, that Christ is supreme. That God chose to put all the fullness of everything within Christ. And he has authority over everything in all of heaven and all of earth. All authority rests within Jesus Christ. And the disciples believed that. And they believed that Jesus was Lord. And this cha- it does, it changes everything. Because if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is who he says he is, then, then he speaks the very words of God. Right? Because he is the word of God. He is God in the flesh. And so, I, I, I don't know about you, but oftentimes, either myself or I've heard people say, if, if God would just whisper to me, if I heard God's voice and I knew it was him, then I'd have no problem obeying. Right? I mean, we've all probably said something like, if I just knew that God was saying something to me, I could obey it because I knew it was God. And yet, if Jesus was God, right, if Jesus is Lord, if he is the word of God, God in the flesh, then, then, then his word, we've got it. And if Jesus is Lord, then, then, then all of this has a weight that, that affects everything. Everything. In Luke chapter 4, verse 6, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? If Jesus is Lord, then it changes everything. 
And that's what the disciples saw. And they didn't, they didn't get it right all the time, right? We can read through and it's, it's a great thing to be able to read the Gospels and see the disciples as they struggle to follow Jesus because it's so encouraging because we struggle to follow Jesus. And yet they believed he was who he said he was. And it set them on a course that changed their lives. And it changed the world. And, and we're invited into that same thing, right? That Jesus is Lord. And if we treat him as Lord, if we follow him as Lord, then it changes us. So it kind of makes sense to stop right there with the good example, right? But there is one more. And, and I know some of you out there are, are smart and are thinking, I've, I've heard this thing before, right? This, this whole liar, lunatic, Lord, and, and, and maybe you're sitting there wrestling with that. I know I've heard that. And some of you are, are so smart as because, oh, that's C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis made the argument that Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Right? And it, it actually even goes back further because uh, C.S. Lewis wrote that in his book, Mere Christianity, and it's radio broadcast in the 40s and then published in the 50s. But, but if you go back to the 30s, there's another... Christian uh, author Watchman Nee who wrote a very similar argument. You can even go back into the 1860s. And there's a, a preacher by the name of John Duncan. And, and he said it this way. Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud or he, he was himself deluded and self-deceived or he was divine. There's no getting out of this trilemma. It is inexorable. Right? There's this trilemma. God is either one, Jesus is either one of these three things, right? He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. He was a deceiver, he was crazy, or he's God. He's one of those things, right? One, two, or three. I say there's four, right? And it's not because I'm thinking they're wrong or I'm smarter than them. It's, it's rather that we, we as people don't care about logic. And so we've created a fourth category, I think. And I think we live as if there's a fourth. And we see it in the crowds. Because the crowds following Jesus thought he was a lovable teacher. See, they gathered around to listen to him teach. Again, maybe witness a miracle. And wherever he went, the crowd formed. But many of the crowd, they, ne- they never did anything else with Jesus. They went and they saw Jesus and they watched him. Maybe they were there and got to eat when Jesus fed the 5,000. Maybe they saw a lame man walk. Maybe they, they saw uh, a, a blind man receive his sight. Maybe they were sitting there as Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe they heard all of that. But then they went home. And they went to bed. And the next day they got up and went on and nothing changed and Jesus was just another he was a lovable teacher oh yeah I heard about him he's a great guy and you see I think this is this this argument is alive and well today so many people argue that Jesus was just a great teacher They'll even go as far as to argue that it wasn't until after he died that people started to make a big fuss about his life. And they'll just say, Jesus was a great teacher. And, oh yeah, I've heard about him. I've read, I've read some of the stuff he said. And yeah, he's great. You see, because the world that we live in doesn't have a problem with this buddy Jesus. 
right? This buddy Jesus, who's the lovable teacher, he, Jesus teaches about love and acceptance, and every, he loved everybody, and he didn't, like, right? When that woman was caught in adultery, Jesus didn't stone her, he didn't condemn her, he loved her, right? We, we see this, this attitude all around us. Because people like to be able to take the parts of Jesus' teachings that they liked and just kind of like cut and paste. Here's, oh, I like this idea. I'm going to just take these couple things and, and mix them in with, with the other teachings I've heard or ideas I've heard. I'm just going to kind of make my own thing. Right? My own form of spirituality where I just kind of pick and choose the parts I like and this works for me. And this is good. And yeah, I like Jesus. He was a good teacher. This, this culture that we live in of spirituality and, and, and all things being, right? That, that, yeah, Jesus is good. He was a good teacher. He was a lovable teacher. I don't have a problem with Jesus. It's all the, the Christians I have a problem with, right? And, and lots of us do the same thing because what happens is, is we take those things and we take the words of Jesus and we just kind of like redefine them. Now, if you look around our, our culture and our world, you'll see lots of, of Jesus' teachings that are, are used, right? You'll see his words of, of love and grace and sin and all those things, and, and yet the definitions used for them don't, don't match up with God's Word. They don't, they don't match up with what Jesus said. We've just redefined them in a way that we like. In a way that's more palatable to us. And again, this category doesn't stand logic. It's why C.S. Lewis could say liar, lunatic, or Lord. Because lovable teacher doesn't work if you actually listen to what Jesus said. Because the, you know, the Bible claims that Jesus was Lord. That Jesus is God. And his claims don't match up with this idea of, well, I'm just going to just pick and choose. It's, it's all or nothing. And so really, even as we look at, at all four of these choices, right, it, it really comes down to two. What are you going to do with Jesus? Is he Lord or not? Is he Lord or not? Because lovable teacher and Lord don't mash up. If he's Lord, we can't just pick and choose the pieces of what we like to hear or the things that we like. And if he's Lord, then he can't be a liar and he's not crazy. So is Jesus Lord or is he not? And that's really the choice that, that each and every one of us uh, are faced with. Is Jesus Lord? And it's the point that each and every one of us will come to that point where we have to make that decision. Is Jesus Lord of my life or not? And the beautiful thing about, about the Bible, about the gospel, is that when we come to that point, when we come to that point where we realize that I can't be God, that I'm not God, that Jesus is standing there waiting for us. 
The beautiful thing about the gospel is, is that all the, the other things that we try to cling to, right? When we, when, we, when we write off Jesus as being a liar or a lunatic or, or just some lovable teacher, it's because we're trying to, to, to figure things out on our own. And when we eventually get to that point where we realize that we can't do it on our own, then no matter how well we try to play the system, there's always going to be somebody who seems to, to be better than us. So there, there's, there's always this, this, this nagging sense of guilt that I, I just can't do it. I can't measure up that Jesus is standing there inviting us to come. Right? That's the beauty of the Gospels that Jesus went to the cross for us. Right? It's the, the beauty of the Gospels that Jesus is Lord. He is creator of everything, and yet, as God came and died in our place. Really, if we understand Jesus as Lord, it makes the whole sacrifice of Jesus that much more incredible. And so we're left with this. If he's Lord, then what does that mean? What, what is that, what effect does that have for me, right? I, I said when we we're talking about the disciples, that the disciples believed who was Lord and it changed everything. Well, well what about me? And so as we, we wrap up our time together, I want to just spend a little time leaving you with, I think there's three simple implications of what it means that Jesus is Lord. And the first one is this. If Jesus is Lord, then we need to surrender completely. We can't hold back. If Jesus is God, then everything he says in his word is true. And if Jesus is Lord, more importantly, it means that you're not God. Right? Oftentimes we kind of wrestle, we, we, we kind of treat that, right? we wouldn't stand up and, and say that loud, but we act that way. Like, I'm the one who gets to decide everything. I'm the one who decides what's right and wrong. I'm, I'm at the center of the universe. And when we surrender to Jesus, we give that up. And we acknowledge that He is Lord and we're not. And we acknowledge that what He says is true and what, what we believe, it doesn't matter. Because He's God. Right? Maybe you've, you've never surrendered before. Right? Maybe you come walking in here wrestling with this, still wrestling with this question, well, who is Jesus? And if he's Lord, then what does that mean? What does it mean to surrender? Maybe you're still attempting to be the king of your life. Well, Jesus is Lord, and he invites us to come. And again, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel. That, that's, that's why we follow Jesus, because he's invited us to follow as Lord, as God. He had the right and the authority to condemn us all because we're guilty. Right? Because of sin, we deserve that. And yet Jesus came to rescue us. And on the cross, he wiped out the penalty of sin. And he invites us to follow. And so our surrendering is just that, accepting that gift. Trusting Jesus, Lord, and follow. And the reality of this surrender is that it's a continual process. Right? As we follow Jesus, he'll continually reveal in our lives things that need to be surrendered. 
Right? Maybe it's something that you never realized before. Maybe as, as you spend time following Jesus, you realize, you're like, oh, this, this part of my life doesn't match up. I need to surrender that to Jesus. Or maybe you're like me and there's parts of your life that you surrender to Jesus and then a day later realize that you took control again and you need to surrender it again to Jesus and tomorrow and the day after and the day after. Right? It's this continual process that we surrender our lives to Jesus. We, we acknowledge Him as Lord. Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus in talking to us says, if you want to follow me, then you take up your cross daily. Right? This idea that daily we, we die to ourselves. Daily we acknowledge that Jesus is king and we're not. Daily we give up our rights to Jesus. And so we surrender completely. And none of us are there yet. And daily, we surrender. Moment by moment, we surrender to Jesus. Because He's Lord. And the second piece, if Jesus is Lord, then we should seek to know Him more. Now again, this is one of those really simple things, right? Because this is, this is simple relationship advice, right? If you want to know someone more, then you need to spend time with them, right? If you want to get to know someone, then you need to spend time with them. And the more time you spend with someone, the more you'll know them, right? If Jesus is Lord... And we're invited to know Him and follow Him. Then we've got to spend time with Him. And relationships that exist on an hour or so a week don't thrive well. Right? I've, I've, I've had lots of fun talking with people who wonder why they have problems in relationships and they're never together and they never spend time together and they don't know why they don't understand each other. Right? Same thing is true. Of, we, we have to spend time with Jesus. So how are you doing in spending time with Jesus? How are you doing spending time in His Word, reading His Word? How are you doing spending time in prayer? It's, it's, it, this is also so important because not only is it just getting to know Him and spend time with Him and get to understand His heart and know what He says, right? But, but the other things that we live in, in a world where, again, so many things that Jesus said have been taken and, and redefined and rewritten. And, and it, it's so easy to go out and find lots of people telling you what Jesus said. We have to know Him. We've got to know His Word to know whether those things are true or not. We need to know what God's Word says. And there's a great writer, Psalm 119.11, Joshua 1.8, Philippians 4.8 are all great reminders that, that, that challenge us to know God's Word and spend time in God's Word and spend time with Him. We need to be doing that, spending time in His Word as we follow Him, as we surrender to Him as Lord, that we know Him. And the third thing is if Jesus is Lord, then, then, then we need to obey what we know. 
And this is why we talk about as a church, if you've been around us for a while, you, you've probably heard us talk about believe, belong, become. We use that phrase to, to talk about uh, what it means to be a church and, and follow Jesus. And, and it's really, it's because it's this process of growing. Growing in our faith and growing in our obedience and growing in our relationship with Jesus. Because none of those things are just a, a simple, you flip the switch, I, I trust Jesus, now everything's perfect. Right? And so we believe but then as we learn more about what God says and there's things that he teaches that challenge our, our faith and we have to wrestle with that and we have to trust him again. And, and we get, as we try to follow him and do things his way and we come into hard situations, we have to, we have to trust that what he says is true. And we believe, but it's, it's a continual thing. And we belong. God's called us to be part of a, of a church body and a church family. We're together, we're chasing after Jesus and we become more and more like Jesus as we obey what we know. So we see it at the disciples. They follow Jesus. But as they spend three years with him, they learn more and more and more. And as they learn more, they're, they're able to take bigger steps of obedience. And so we're just, you know, we don't have to be perfect. We're just called to obey. And as we learn, and as our faith grows, we can obey him more. As we spend time together chasing after Jesus, we know him more. We become more and more like him. And so we start small with a step. I love it. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writing to, to the, the church in Rome, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Right, that, that, that we are transformed, that we are changed as we spend time with Jesus. Right, as we begin to obey more and more, as we grow in that relationship, that then our lives slowly but surely begin to change as we reflect who he is and his character and what he's called us and made us to be. So if he is Lord, we'll surrender and we'll seek to know him and we'll grow in our obedience. So where are you today? Are you, are you still wrestling with who Jesus is? Are you, are you still wrestling with whether he is Lord or not? Or maybe you're at the point where you, where you say he is Lord. Well, how are you doing with following him? How are you doing in your in areas of surrender? How are you doing in, in just spending time with him to know him? How are you doing with obeying what he's called you to do? Because again, if Jesus is Lord, then it changes everything. Let me pray for us right now. Jesus, we, we thank you that you love us and you love us even though we are, we are such a fickle people. We get so caught up with following exciting things that, that we, don't, uh, oh, we don't actually wrestle with who you are and what you say. And so Jesus, I pray maybe even if it's for the first time that people are wrestling with who you are, that we would come to the point where we recognize that you are Lord. And as Lord, you've invited us into a relationship with you to follow after you.
And so, Jesus, I, I just pray that, that each and every one of us, wherever we're at in that relationship, that we would just, at this point, that we would recognize our need in whatever area of our lives just to surrender again to you. And that you would just continue to draw us to yourself and transform us into the image of your Son. Father, we love you. Amen.